Hey everybody, welcome from Disrupt TV, live from the back of a New York City taxi cab. We're trying to figure out if Messi is going to be ending out in a good career or what's going to happen with France. So, no, just kidding. It's not the World Cup, but it is the World Cup of Enterprise TV, and you're in the green room. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar, and of course, our excellent producer, L. And so, let's do introductions in reverse order. So, where are you calling in from, and what are we talking about? Shana, go ahead. What are we talking about today? Hi, I'm Shauna Hawking. I'm in the Philadelphia suburbs, and I'm the author of One Bold Move a Day, which I look forward to talking about with you. Excellent. Cool. Satyan, what are we talking about today? Where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from San Carlos, California, and today we are going to be talking about data intelligence. Ooh, cool. Very, very hot topic. And Anand, thank you. You get the award for being up the latest. Where are you calling in from, and what are we talking about? Hi, uh, I'm Anand Deshpande, and I'm calling in from Pune in India. And uh, we have been talking about how we see disruption in the market and how uh, companies are evolving to become more robust and resilient. Great. Amazing. Some great topics here. I'm going to turn it back to you, L. You can do the countdown, and then I will join you, hopefully, at a desk here somewhere soon. All right. Three, two, one. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guest, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them in the next hour. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host who's riding in a cab in New York City, Ray Wong. He's the CEO, founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in the World of Digital Giants. You see Ray just about every day on uh, business and technology news, Bloomberg, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and, and others. Um, in my opinion, he's one of the top futures to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, in a New York City cab in downtown New York. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Ashar, as he mentioned, the chief digital evangelist at Salesforce, and he's the author of the book, Social Business Excellence. And when he's not keynoting, or when he's not leading events, or he's not tweeting about awesome, amazing topics, you can also see him on TV outlets like Bloomberg, writing in awesome places like ZDNet, but more importantly, being his awesome self, and a happy birthday to Bala, whose birthday was sometime in the last 48 hours, and uh, congratulations. So, but hey, it's not about us, it's about our, our amazing guest, and who do we have to kick it off today? 
By the way, your birthday is tomorrow. Anyway, uh, it's our it's our <laughs> privilege to introduce, introduce Dr. Anand Deshpande, who's the founder, chairman, managing director of Persistent Systems since inception, is responsible for overall leadership of the company. Anand is a true technology visionary who has been driving a force in growing Persistent Systems from an in, in its inception 32 years ago, 1990, to publicly traded global company that it is today. Prior to founding Persistent Systems, Anand began his professional career at Hewitt Packard Laboratories in California, where he worked as a member of the technical staff. Anand is the founding trustee of Persistent Foundation and has served numerous positions at various professional and nonprofit organizations, including NASCOM's Executive Council and Founding President Association of Computing Machinery India. And, and many more. Anand is a member of many higher education universities and organizations serving honorary adjunct professor of practice at the Desai SETI School of Entrepreneurship at IIT Bombay, chairman of the board of governors of IIT Patna and interim chairman of the board of governors at IIT Alabadad and much more. With his family members, Anand has established the Astra Foundation, this nonprofit entity focuses on creating self-employment at scale. Anand has helped hundreds of entrepreneurs scale their businesses. You can follow Anand on Twitter at A-N-A-N-D-E-S-H. Welcome, Anand, to Disrupt TV. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And happy birthday to both of you, I guess. <laughs> in order. It's a great week that we found today. It's amazing. We're two days apart. It's it's funny that it's way. But, unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, we're really excited to have you. You're one of India's top most thought leaders and business leaders, and it's been exciting to be talking to you over the ages. Um, one of the things that you always talk about is really the disruption that is happening in technology, and they send these interesting signals and shocks to the world. What are you seeing today? So very briefly, you know, I moved from being CEO to being chairman about three years back, but our team has been on the ground and uh, Persistent focuses a lot on working with uh, software businesses and companies in their digital transformation and their journey. And what we have seen is that uh, in the last few quarters, specifically in the last two quarters, uh, we have seen a difference in terms of how companies have, are starting to behave and how they are looking at their uh, markets. Uh, you know, it's while downturns and upturns are a common thing in a in our life lifetime and as a business that I've run for 32 years, we have seen many of these. Last three years have been very different in many ways. Uh, we started out of the pandemic thinking that we are going to be in a downturn, but within a few months, the technology companies actually did quite well. And many of our customers came to us and we saw significant growth in the last two years predominantly because customers were trying to accelerate their roadmap for their products and their technologies. But in the last two quarters, we have all of a sudden seen a difference in the playbook. And we think that uh, when the market changes, uh, companies need to adopt very different kinds of techniques to get things moving. And I think that would be a good thing to discuss today in, uh, with the, both, both of you, where you are also seeing many of these changes in the market. But, but Anand, I think the, the important question here is like, what is that next disruption? You sit at the forefront of that disruption that's about to happen. Like, where do you see some trends? So again, uh, yeah, there are two parts to this. At this moment, uh, in the short term, we are seeing a lot of changes, predominantly because companies were on one side trying to focus on getting their products out faster and quicker. Right now, people are trying to see how can I do more with less? 
mm-hmm. and how do i leverage my technology so that i'm not uh, you know i'm not spending frivolously and spending my money more sufficiently because in the last few quarters uh, we have seen a in a sense a destruction of value in some sense because we had companies who were valued at a certain valuation and they were looking at an accelerated roadmap and all of a sudden now we are starting to see a shift in terms of how companies are looking at these things so there is a um, so there's a context in which i would like to state that there are a m- lot of new technologies that are definitely happening but the pace at which these things are going to get deployed uh, might shift for the next few quarters as companies try to figure out exactly how to go about it uh, and uh, persistent continues to grow you have mu- you've acquired multiple companies this year and last year uh, so you continue to add to your digital transformation capabilities, enabling the largest companies in the world to transform themselves. When you're thinking about acquiring and growing your company, what are some of the recession-proofing strategies that are play, um, not just within your organization, but how you guide your clients in terms of you know, software and technology companies? So uh, yeah, it's a good good question. And the last uh, again, uh, as I said, you no, know, we've been in business for 32 years, and we have seen many such ups and downs. And recessions are uh, or business slowing down is a very common phenomenon all through the history, and we see these ups and downs regularly. Uh, the difference is that when you are in an upswing, the playbook that you see is very different from the playbook you see when you are in a downturn or a potential downturn. So at the moment, companies are very focused on trying to conserve cash and trying to ensure that they can get most done with the amount of resources that they might have with them. And in this model as persistent, what we see is that we get a lot more customers asking us to see how we can deliver products more efficiently. Mm-hmm. How can we maybe look at uh, costing of centers or looking at uh, resources of people uh, distributed across lower cost geographies uh, we look at support and other kinds of requirements that come in being very different from the ones that come in during the upcycle of the you know the market when people are looking at the next generation of new technology development. Uh, while you are doing all these cost con- containment and management of uh, your teams so that you can be more efficient, it is important to ensure that you don't uh, move the ball off the the new things that are coming in, and the companies need to make sure that as the market swings back up in a few quarters, uh, companies are ready for their next generation technology and all the solutions. So it's a tight rope walk for a few quarters at the moment for companies, but uh, we are seeing a good opportunity to partner with companies as this happens. And this shift, these shifts are often places where the best make the difference as compared to those who you know, miss out on the opportunities to acquire good talent or to do different things when the market is turning. And and your sense is, and I'm gathering from your response, that this um, you know wartime CEO versus peacetime CEO mindset is mm-hmm. maybe only two quarters. So hopefully, the second half of 2023, we'll see perhaps um, you know a, a change in the climate. So again, you know, it's less about the climate; it's about the company's readiness to respond to the the mm-hmm. situation. Okay. So what we find in general is that. It takes CEOs to move from, as you said, from the peacetime or when you say you're in an accelerated mode to a place where you want to hold on and figure out how far you want to go. That uh, transition typically takes between two or three quarters. 
Once people know where you are operating, what I have found is that good CEOs and companies and leadership is usually able to manage uh, how to survive and thrive in, in the climate once you know what climate you are playing in. And that takes a few quarters. So I'm not quite sure when the recession will end and all of, all, you know, that's again, a, a beyond my, I guess, my understanding. Yeah. But reality is that irrespective of where it ends up in a few quarters, I'll find, I believe that the CEOs would be in a much better situation to handle the recession or whatever else that might be, because by then they would have figured out the parameters under which they are operating. Okay. And we see that at, yeah. on our end as well. Okay. You know, Anand, and that's related, right? One of the things that's pop, popping up is people are prioritizing cost initiatives, again, as for transformation programs, right? And it's interesting. It's very regional, right? We looked at a survey of 78 chief digital officers, CTOs, CIOs in our business confidence survey. And what we discovered was um, in North America, there is no signs of a recession. In the Middle East, there's no signs of a recession. In India, there's no signs of a recession. In Australia and New Zealand, there's no signs of a recession. But the rest of the world is psyching everyone into a recession. And people now have two budgets. One is cost savings. We're going to show the street that we're going to deliver on a certain number. And right. it's going to come in You know, to, you know, we've done some headcount reductions. We've managed our costs. And then there's an internal budget, which is different, which is focused on growth. Um, and they're saying, hey, if you hit this number, we're going to unlock some funds so that we can invest going forward. Um, what do you do in those kind of situations? Because you're, you're no stranger to these cycles and no stranger to helping clients be successful in those cycles. How do you actually figure out how to prioritize these cost initiatives over transformation programs? And where do you see the rapid adoption in the new future in terms of the technologies going forward? So, again, good question, Ray. You, seem, you have definitely figured this out. See, most companies uh, have to do the cost cutting, as you said, so that the world also realizes that they have the ability to make that cost changes. But they are definitely focused on how do I get the growth to happen. So where we come in with a lot of our customers is that we can help them with managing their costs because we are able to get certain things done at a lower cost point in India or other parts of the world. And we are also able to invest in newer technologies. But when you ask about new technologies and where are the new things coming in, let me give you a list of things that I think I'm prioritizing on personally and looking at as sort of where things are happening. And I'm going to give you an A, B, C, D, E type stuff. So A is, of course, AI and artificial intelligence. Clearly, that's happening. And I think uh, we see a lot of this. And while we see a lot of news in the market, getting that into the conversation at uh, the companies is always uh, a step further along. So I think there's a lot to implement there. And the B, I'm very bullish on bioinformatics, biotechnology, and things like that. On C, I would say cybersecurity is a big area, and I would include crypto. I'm a big bull on the crypto technologies. I think there's a lot that's going to happen there. Uh, and then the, the D is the data and digital stuff. Again, I'm looking at enterprises. They're still lagging on some of these things here. I would say E is my energy there. And I think energy-related climate and all of those kinds of things are going to become very significant. And we'll see a lot more investments, even in recessionary times, to conserve energy. And then the F, I would say the last one is the be the fintech and the fact that, you know, at the end of it, we have to do commerce and money. And that's where uh, my F would come in from. I, I was hoping you go all the way to Z, but let me just mm -hmm. jump to M and Metaverse. Uh, yes. Do you find your enterprise clients 
talking about digital twins, talking about scaling training using immersive technologies like augmented and virtual and interactive 3D, especially if visual commerce is on their radar. How much is this digital world, and of course tied to, as you said, you're, 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 you're bullish on crypto. When I think about tokenization of the internet in a virtual setting uh, and the non-fungible token phenomena that you know blew up in, in 12 to 18 months and then slowed down quite a bit, uh, but still is an incredible market what are your thoughts on the metaverse? Uh, I think uh, I wish metaverse were more cooked uh, before the <laughs> pandemic started rather than when it is now. I think next two to four quarters, I think people are talking less about metaverse right now there uh, because it's not clear how they would monetize it. And if I have money to prioritize, I'm not prioritizing on the metaverse yeah. unless, of course, I'm the company that makes the metaverse happen. But by and large, I think people are holding back a little bit on their resources and man the energy on metaverse. Though I again believe that um, the fact that if you look at the gaming industry and what's happening there and how the gaming industry will come into the enterprise, I think there's a huge opportunity there. But at the moment for the next two to three quarters, I think uh, metaverse is going to not the topmost of the things that people are talking about at the moment. I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you. And uh, my, my, I have a follow-up question because Ray and you talked about as part of the cost optimization, there has been uh, reduction in staff, uh, especially in the tech sector, uh, and, and in some cases, large number. Uh, what, and, and I know you, your entire 32-year commitment of building an incredible company has been upskilling and reskilling talent. And as I mentioned in your introduction, you've helped hundreds of entrepreneurs scale their business. So you, you, you deliberately focus on education and skills. So as an incredible chairman and, and former CEO, what advice do you have for folks that have been impacted by reductions in terms of what they can do? to position themselves for a good, uh, meaningful career? So again, this is a long topic. I'm going to give you a short answer today. One is, of course, you need to focus a lot on in ensuring that you are continuously learning and picking on skills and upskilling yourselves in the short term. And the other thing that I would say as you look back, come back to looking for jobs again, uh, focus on what you can do for the for the employer that you're looking for jobs rather than focusing on what you have done in the past. You know, so when I'm hiring someone new in the company, I'm not just looking for what you have done in the past, but more about what will you do for me in the future? And if you focus a little bit on that, that might help you get better jobs in the future. Great advice, great advice. So as you're engaged in the process, articulate the value you bring today and tomorrow and less about yes. all the great things you did in the past. Great, mm -hmm. great advice. Ray, you're on mute. Yeah, no, no, I definitely am. And uh, what I'm trying to discuss is really thinking about when you actually figure out what leadership looks like. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Like it's been 10 years of growth, right? People haven't really seen a downturn. And despite what's been going on in post pandemic, right? I mean, it's still been growth, right? Which has been yeah. strange. And so leaders have not experienced a downturn what do they have to do differently managing in a downturn? I mean, you've seen multiple cycles, right? And uh, this is this one's interesting. How would you call it? See, again, you know, I, I would say two things in this context. Leaders need to first accept that they don't know everything. And that's kind of hard for leaders to do. When, <laughs> you know, when things are all great, it's all because of the leader and not uh, because of the climate. So now you have to accept the fact that, hey, you know, uh, 
there's problems right now and we all don't know the answers. We have to work together to find them. And I have an advice that I got during my 2001 downturn. And this is what a friend of mine told me that Anand, don't focus, uh, you know, the bad times will go away. How you treat people during the bad times is what they're going to remember oh. when things get bad, get back to normal. So how you treat people at this time is really the key to being a good leader. So yeah, I mean, things are tough. Everyone knows that. Nobody needs to hide that. But how you behave with other people, whether they are your employees, customers, or whoever else, is going to hold you in terms of where you end up when the times get back to be better. Wow. Super important advice. And I think leaders around the world are listening as they're trying to figure out what's going on. Anand Deshpande, founder, chairman, managing director of Persistent Systems. You can follow him on Twitter at Anand ESH, Anand Desh, but more importantly, catch him in his writings. And of course, if you ever see him on a live interview, catch him there as well. So thank you so much for being on the show and for staying up late with us. Thank you, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. And happy birthday to both of you again. <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, an extraordinary leader who's for more than three decades built a great company. Speaking of extraordinary leaders, we only invite the best and brightest CEOs to come on the show. Yeah. And, and uh, our next guest, Satya Sangani, CEO of Italian, uh, in founding Alatian, uh, Satyan aspired to help people dispassionately observe the world around them, empowering them to passionately work to improve it. Uh, Satyan spent nearly a decade at Oracle uh, before his current role, where he ran financial services warehouse and performance management business. Prior to uh, Oracle, he was an associate with private investment firm, Texas Pacific Group, and an analyst with Morgan Stanley. You can follow him on Twitter at SatYX, S-A-T-Y-X. Welcome, Satyan, to Disrupt TV. Great to be here. Thank you for such a kind introduction. Thank and happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> well, hey, welcome. And uh, first of all, congratulations. I mean, getting a 123 million Series E in this market is like next to impossible. And you've had quite the year, especially for the work that you're doing. Um, so talk a little bit so people get an idea. What, what is Alation? What are you guys doing? And how do you plan to use all that capital? So Yeah. For sure. And it, it is an incredible testament to what the team has accomplished and what our customers are accomplishing. So super proud of, of that outcome. But what Alation is, is a data intelligence platform. And uh, what data intelligence is, is basically intelligence about your data, you know, different from business intelligence, which is intelligence from your data, right? And, and why you need that is because data is super confusing. And the better you get at using the data, the more data there is. And everybody wants to use data because data is the lifeblood of every business. And so every customer and every company, every organization of any scale really needs to know where their data is, how to use it, how to leverage it. And we are a platform that enables you to do exactly that. Uh, yeah. So more than 25% of Fortune 100 companies are customers of yours, which is amazing. Ray said you had a great year. Uh, so in addition to raising 123 million, you surpassed 100 million in ARR in September. You were named the best place, best tech company to work for in the UK. And Inc. Magazine also named you the best workplace. All of this this year. So you've had an amazing 2022. So hopefully 2023 will even be better. Um, when I went to your website, describing your, what your company does. Very simple, succinct three bullets. Unattainable data means fewer decisions. Uh, untrusted data means questionable decisions. And unverified data means poor decisions. 
So you bring relief to the world uh, because you, you know, you help enterprises, data solutions, deliver intelligence in and out. So it's not garbage in, garbage out. It's, it's really ensuring that you have the best data to make the best decisions. All along this year, we've heard about data mesh, data fabric. These have been really prominent words. If you had a word cloud of, uh, you know, uh, technologies that are keep being mentioned, what do you think about these trends? When you hear data mesh, data fabric, how does your unique approach to making sure companies have the best available data uh, to make the best available decisions? How do you do that? Well, so I think one of the challenges in the data space is that everybody kind of says the same thing, right? That everybody says, you know, no. we're going to empower time to insight and we're going to help you be making better, more data-driven decisions, or, you know, we're going to make data the lifeblood of your enterprise, right? And so those are things that all of us say, and data is very meta and concepts mm -hmm. like data mesh and data fabric are also very meta. And, mm -hmm. you know, to the initiated, to the people that are actually living and breathing data every day, they may know what those things are, but even some of the people who are inside the tent of data don't always know what those terms are. Very simply put, I think that data mesh is frankly, and you know, I host a podcast called Data Radicals and I had Shamak Bagani, who is the uh, sort of founder, if you will, of the data mesh concept on the podcast. And, and what she basically has talked about data, data mesh as being is an acknowledgement that this idea of centralizing all of your data is really just a sort of a fool's errand. It's this sort of you know, search for a fountain of youth that doesn't really exist. And so I really love this concept because frankly, it's one of the founding insights that I couldn't quite put into the same words that she did that led us to found Alation. The, the premise that you're going to centralize all of your data in a single place is, is really kind of silly and it's never going to happen. And I totally agree. And I'm glad that 10 years along in this journey, we are recognizing that. And on the side of data fabric, I think there's a slightly different acknowledgement, which is that in a world where you've got all of these different data applications and all these different applications, really the way to share information is through the metadata. And so if you want to create this fabric where information is really united across every endpoint that you're delivering insights and process, you've also got to have really good metadata to make sure that people have the context around the decisions that they're making and the machines have a context around the decisions that they're advising. And so those are really two very interesting concepts. They sound the same, they're very different, but related. And of course, intelligence is at the sort of center of all of this. And we're super excited because it obviously means that the backward turns behind Olation um, are only accelerating. And that's why you've seen such growth in the last year. No, that's great. You know, everybody wants to make sure their data lake doesn't look like a data swamp. So, uh, you know, that's that's problem number one. But hey, my, my colleague, Doug Henschens, basically is like, Henschens, he's basically saying, look, you know, how can there be more data catalog users than BI users? So he kind of scoffs at this idea that data catalogs are going to be there. I don't know. You want to set him straight? He's not on. <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, I, I think a very simple analogy is to say, look, people use Google and they use Google even more often than they use Amazon. And in fact, if you're an Amazon user, you probably start in Google to find the product and then you click through, right? Yep. And so from, you know, from our perspective, you know, data cataloging is one of the, uh, you know, a few, few applications that we provide. We provide applications for data governance, for querying, for interrogating spreadsheets and leveraging those. I'd love to talk about that. But, but in a data catalog is basically a search engine and an inventory of your data. And you will likely, 
to the organizations, and this is what we've seen with our biggest customers like Procter & Gamble, like Salesforce, you know, these customers basically have their users start with Alation to be able to locate the data inside of their company. And sometimes that's in a BI report. Sometimes that's in a system like Snowflake or or Databricks, but it it actually doesn't really matter. You know, you don't always know where the data is located. You don't always know what it means. You don't always know which data set is the right one to use. And a catalog is going to help you answer those questions in a world where all of the data, all of the reports, all of the information is not going to be centralized in one place. So I think it's I think I think it's only a matter of time. Um, I do understand that more people want the insight than need to go looking for the insight, but ultimately those are one and the same thing. And metadata sits inside this data catalog for those that are falling around, right? This is things like your business, your process, your metadata, your listings all sitting in there, your verbs, your synonyms, like that's the idea behind this, correct? That's exactly right. That the the metadata is, you know, for 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 layman is the context. And the thing about data is it doesn't actually describe itself, right? English, like Google works because a news article that you read or that you write tells you what it is. It tells you what it is in English, but data is hexadecimal fields and code values and numbers. And none of that tells you really what it is. And so you need context. And all we're trying to do is basically provide and produce that context, whether it's produced by Alation or from some other system, we just want to put it all in one central place, be a catalog of catalogs so that you can find whatever you want, wherever it might be. Awesome. Uh, we spoke with our first guest, Anand, uh, about the you know the economic challenges and downturns and companies doing more with less. Um, and Ray mentioned this is for the last 10 years we haven't experienced that really. I mean, imagine a graduate, college graduate working first 10 years of his or her career. It's just been great, you know, great, uh, great growth, <laughs> great, and really not challenged with constraints. How is Alation supporting businesses, whether it's big businesses like my company or others during these challenging times? So how, how are, what are folks asking in terms of data intelligence that's perhaps unique in the last six months because we're going through it, uh, difficult times? Right. So the secular trend in you know, data and in technology is that these, business, these large businesses and even the small ones basically have to leverage data in order to be able to gain competitive advantage. If, if software is eating the world, right then then data is the calorie right data is the actual is, is the actual thing that's going to allow you to nourish your your organization with real insights and real competitive advantage and so i think that trend has been one that is only growing in steam and companies are seeing that their data driven peers are overtaking them and that i don't think is going to change at all and as anand pointed out you know in his abcd a was artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence doesn't go anywhere if you don't have great right. data, right? So I think that trend is is inexorable. What I, what I do think though, is in a world where we've moved from basically zero interest rates to a world where now rates are at seven, 8% in some cases, the cost of capital for every technology has just gone up materially. And so all of us, have to spend more judiciously. And that's true for technology companies in particular, which are these recurring revenue streams, right? Because now if, if the discount rate's gone up, your your business is definitionally less valuable than it otherwise might've been. So, so I think that means that for companies and for technology companies in particular, you're gonna have to be really thoughtful about where to spend. And I think companies are gonna be now demanding more ROI from their investment in data. They're not gonna stop investing in data, but they're gonna say, 
where am I getting a return and how can I measure that this data team that I'm staffing, these data tools that I'm investing in, these infrastructure bits and all this data storage that I'm putting money into, how do I know that I'm getting an ROI? And I think there's going to be increased inspection around this question everywhere because this idea that you're just going to arbitrarily build stuff and people are going to come, I think is now in question because everybody's questioning everything. So for healthy business, you're going to keep track of the good calories versus the bad calories and make sure that you I love I love I love how you're taking my horrible analogy and drawing it forward. Thank you. Yes. That was a great analogy. I mean, hey, how do I get on the keto? I'm on a keto diet. How do I get there? I mean, uh, exactly. <laughs> so, but, but speaking about keto diets, you also have I want to talk about data radicals, the podcast, right? That is an awesome podcast. Tell me like when you think when you think back like, you know, as the podcast goes over the years, I mean, what 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 guests has really shocked you in terms of what they were saying, in terms of the insight that you came back and said, oh my God, I can't believe this person said this, right? Um, from their insights, from their experience, because you've got some amazing guests there. And I'm, I'm waiting for you to like, you know, go back to some of your old bosses like Steve Miranda or someone say, hey, get on the show. But hey, that'd be kind of fun, you know? So. Yeah, that would be kind of fun. I, you know, it's, it's funny. So we started the podcast at the beginning of last year and the premise behind it was, look, there's this thing called data culture and it's the thing that everybody thinks that all of these big tech companies have, and many, in fact, do. You know, how do you get driven by data? How do you make sure that data is in everybody's hands? How do we make the best decisions possible using data? And so the idea was, well, we all want to build this thing called data culture. We all want to be living in a world that's informed by science, over bias, over ideology, over the highest paid person's opinion. So that was the premise of the podcast. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, this led us down in a really fun exploratory path because there's obviously great writers who have thought about this question. Authors like David, David Epstein at Range uh, just interviewed Tim Har Harford, who, you know, um, is a huge podcaster in the UK and recently wrote The Data Detective. And, and also, you know, see practitioners, great chief data officers like, you know, uh, for example, ones from the very group and ones from... Fidelity. And so you see all these folks. And what is really, really, really exciting is that we also have real leaders who have done transformations. And so my favorite story to answer your question is from Stanley McChrystal, who was- Data is a weapon. Data is a weapon. Oh, wow. right? is so a weapon. The, the guy is incredible, right? And that was the, exactly, data is a weapon. So he tells this story about how he was walking out one day and he just saw these trash bags. And these trash bags, you know, he went and he said, what, what are all these trash bags and why aren't they in the garbage? And they're like, well, actually, these trash bags are all of the intel that we've gathered from the various terrorist raids that we've taken, and we just leave it there. He's like, what? What? <laughs> like, wh wh why aren't we analyzing this data immediately? Because this is a terrorist network. If we, if we act fast, we're going to be able to beat, beat the bad guys. And they're like, well, we just haven't really invested and we don't have the resources <laughs> and you know we don't really have the people and he's like this has got to change you saw some wow, wow you have some amazing. great guests i mean wendy turner from tableau i mean you've had like you know star dog folks i think my favorite was Seth stevens uh david David Dowitz or something like that. Davidovitz, yeah. Science, Davidovitz, the science behind data or dating, data behind dating. It's pretty wild stuff. So, so yeah, it's, stuff. it's a really fun podcast. And I think what's really cool is that this idea of how to get people to think differently, how to get people to be more curious and rational, and how do you do that on an individual level? But how do you create the organizational incentives mm -hmm. so that people can be encouraged to lead with truth? 
because truth can obviously upset power sometimes. And so there's really fun, cool dynamics and we get to get into them. And, you know, I get awesome. to do what you guys do, which is obviously awesome. Because it's the geek out on data yeah. live on a podcast is awesome. Exactly. That's awesome. That's really great. You know, if somebody pitched me uh, 12, 13 years ago, strangers getting into other strangers' cars and going from A to B, my, the dominant logic I would have was that no one's going to get into a stranger's car. No one's going to rent their private home space to, to a stranger. So I wouldn't have invested in Uber or Airbnb and I would have been, you know, sad. Um, uh, so as you interview all these data experts, was, is there any dominant logic that you had or a strong belief that was challenged and now you've changed your mind? What are some of the like surprise lessons from your guests? I think, I think that there are, I think there are lots of them. I think, you know, one of them is, look, data is an incredible thing. Mm. But, you know, going back to that McChrystal podcast, one of the things he said was, look, you're never going to get data to tell you exactly what to do. You've got a belief and you've got to have to theory of the world around you. And then data is going to either confirm that or make you slow your reins, but it's not going to ever tell you what to do. So, so, you're, so this idea of being data driven, as it were, really is kind of being data informed. Another great example was from Steve Pimblett from the Very Group, great chief data officer for a you know internet-ish retailer in the UK. Hmm. And one of the things that he did is he said, look, I think of my customers as the various business units. And I actually have people who are effectively account managers, just like an enterprise software company has salespeople that are there to gather the business problems that those individuals have and bring them back in, which I thought was a super insightful yeah. way of thinking about the CIO or the chief data officer role, which is ultimately a service role. And so putting that into action and actually thinking about your job as a real service provider was super cool. Wendy Turner Williams talked about data as politics. And, you know, how data is really all about moving people's cheese and, and, you know, you never really thought about it that way, but often the data upsets people's power. And so when you talk about data silos, what you're really talking about is information silos that back people's power. And if you break down those silos, often you're breaking down people's power. So just really cool insights that you, you see in awesome. from these brilliant people great, who have great. thought about the world around them. Yeah, the politics of data. I mean, silo by definition is accumulate resource, protect the resource, and extract as much value as you can from resource. Hegel in the Harvard Business Review article 15 years ago defined the silos, or maybe even 20 years ago. So you're right. When you're exposed to data that 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 that's orthogonal to capturing, protecting, extracting value, it does become quickly politics. That's a great way of wow. Oh, sorry, Ray. Yeah, um, I need to listen to your podcast more. That it sounds it sounds uh, really really amazing. It, it's incredible. We've got thousands of listeners, and that's look, awesome. if we got you, we'd probably have thousands more. So we would love to. We would love to have you. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. I think, Ray you're on mute. So. Oh, no, great. It's a great point. Like even on the last, um, like even for the last guest last week, right, with uh, Senator Dr. Phil Graham. Dr. Rockenthal, yeah. And, and, and Senator Phil Graham, which was interesting. He was talking about the uh, the data on American inequality. And it turns out that in the Bureau of Labor, Labor Statistics, uh, they do not include transfer payments, which is housing, food assistance, anything there in healthcare, And they do not take out the revenue from the highest earners for the transfer payments they pay. Right. So it looks like there's an inequality of 16 to one between the highest earners and the lowest earners. And it turns out when they run the data, it's four to one. And that completely changes all the politics if that data is correct. Right. You're like, whoa, what happens here? Uh, so it kind of drives that. 
So, but hey, what are your predictions? It's the end of the year. And of course, we have to ask that question. We're looking and at And we want them in right? alphabetical order. So A, B, C. Oh, yeah. Or mnemonic. If you've got a mnemonic, we'll take that as well. So uh, choose your favorite I mnemonic. I don't, I don't know that I, I get to give you that. That might take more intelligence than I'm capable of. Um, but uh, I, you know, I think, so one prediction is the one that I mentioned, which is, look, data ROI is, is going to be a real thing. And that's going to be for organizations organizations and that's going to be for tools. So get ready for that and that and and really think about how you measure the value from data. I think the other one is that data investment secularly will continue at basically the same pace. It you know what I've been hearing from CIOs and from CDOs that I speak with is that they are continuing to protect their data budgets and that for the most part boards and CEOs are continuing to invest behind data even in the context of companies that have done layoffs or reductions in force. And so, you know, that the, the hypothesis there is data helps in good times because it helps you make better decisions, but data also helps in bad time because it helps you make better decisions. You know, I think you'd expect to see, and, and I think this is going to be a really important idea and obviously one that I believe in, that the data intelligence category, therefore, is going to grow as it has been doing in the past. So I expect to see that uh, in, in real order. Yeah, no. We definitely seeing that uh, our data studies basically show that investments are in analytics, automation, AI, and cloud. Those are going to continue for quite some time. So mm -hmm. definitely some very interesting analysis there. So we are here with Sati and Sangani, CEO of Alation. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter, Sati X, but more importantly, check out Data Radicals, the podcast available on Apple iTunes. So, hey, thanks a lot for being on the show. Have a great weekend. And of course, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, and happy holidays. Great to be Thank here. You. Happy birthday, happy holidays. Thank you, sir. Oh, man. Thank you. <laughs> the birthday he, edition of Disrupt TV. I know, I know. Uh, uh, he, his company had a banner 2022. I mean, oh, amazing. raising over 100 million is, in this climate is pretty awesome. Uh, okay, this is what we call the cleanup hitter spot where like a super big brain comes and hits a grand slam and we win. So <laughs> our our, no pressure. Our next guest is Shauna Hawking, leadership consultant, philanthropic advisor, and author. Uh, yeah, with, with a keynote speaker, 20 years of experience raising, raising hundreds of millions of dollars for leading large teams and organizations. And the list of companies are, are spectacular. Shauna is also author of One Bold Move a Day meaningful actions women can take to fulfill their leadership and career potential. Um, uh, Shauna's articles uh, and expertise have been published all the major media outlets, the Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Forbes, you name it. Uh, they've featured Shauna's incredible wisdom. You can follow her on Twitter at S-H-A-N-N-A and then another A, so two A's, Hawking, H-O-C-K-I. And G. Welcome, Shauna, to Disrupt TV. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, we're excited to have you, and we really want to tap into your experience base. You've been at the Wharton School, Duke, and a university I know well, University of Alabama, and CHOP, Children's Hospital, Philadelphia, to help develop the One Bold Move a Day strategy and contribute to what you're doing today. So talk about those experiences and really how that kind of inspired you as you wrote your book. So I was very fortunate to find my dream career when I was 18 years old. 
And not only did I find my dream career at 18, which is pretty unusual, but I found it in fundraising, which makes it twice as unusual. And as I was working my way up in this wonderful field, I realized that there was things that were affecting my life as a working woman and leader and the colleagues and teams that I worked with. And I felt this pull to help more organizations and more leaders. And that's what prompted me to start my own business in January of this year and to write One Bold Move a Day. Can you talk about, was it a mentor or a sponsor? We had Whitney Johnson, Thinkers 50, author of Disrupt Yourself. And she said to Ray and I, mentors are great, but sponsors are even more important. Can you talk about an individual or someone who inspired you to to write One Bold Move and, and help companies grow themselves? Well, first, I should say that Whitney wrote one of my book blurbs. I don't know if you know that. Oh, but I'm know her. She, <laughs> did. she did. Yeah. Oh, that's she's awesome. amazing. She's Huge amazing. fan of Whitney. She has been a wonderful mentor and sponsor to me. And uh, I've really tried to cultivate mentors and sponsors in every job that I've had, in every conversation that I've had. I've tried to pay that forward. Um, I have too many to count, which is the wonderful problem uh, to have. And I call them my personal board of advisors, just like any company that needs people in order to grow their company, then you have people alongside you on your personal journey as well. So I have people from my first job, my last job. I have peer mentors, which are really important. And some people who are mentors probably don't even know that they're mentors to me, but they've been influential in my journey. That's awesome. I'm so glad that we all know Whitney because she's amazing. She's amazing. (laughs) No, that's awesome. Hey, so let's talk about the mindset that you need to do bold moves, right? Most of us are, a lot of us are underconfident overachievers. Sometimes we're shy. Sometimes we feel like it's inappropriate, you know, to, to make an ask. And, you know, first, what's a bold move? And like, how do I sum up the courage to even get to a bold move? So when you hear bold move, just like you said it, Ray, it sounds like bold move on a billboard or all in capital letters. A bold move, as I define it, is an intentional action that helps you move forward, learn and grow. So this means that a bold move is taking a new job, asking for a promotion, moving across the country. And a bold move is also asking for uh, someone to properly say your name or speaking up in a meeting to share an idea or disagreeing uh-huh. with someone more senior than you. So there's small things you can do and there are big things that are bold moves. So it's not the size or the ask, it's really the boldness of the move. It's really the idea that you define for yourself what a bold move is each day. And it, it evolves as you evolve your career and your life and nobody gets to judge it, including you. If you made this and it was an intentional way to move forward and learn, then it was a bold move. That's a great, boy, I wish I read your book when I was in like high school or college. Um, I'm an introvert. So if I catalog bold moves in my life or career or school, I'm not sure if I could get beyond a couple of fingers or a hand. So is it harder for introverts? Like what advice do you have for introverts? And I don't, I don't mean to label people, but for someone who doesn't like to, who, you know, who doesn't necessarily initiate a conversation or for someone who's had his name mispronounced his entire life has never said anything. <laughs> In my mind, I'm like, I'm just happy you know me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so so how, what are the mindsets we need, whether you're an introvert or extrovert or ambient vert or whatever the third word is, uh, to, 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 to be more comfortable being a bit more bold? Well, 
I love that you're asking about how this applies for introverts. This has been asked multiple times on my book tour, and I think it's a really important point because some people say, I want this to apply to me too. And I say, yes, it can. And here's what it looks like. The thing is that some people will never know what your bold moves are because again, you're choosing them, you're defining them, they're up to you. So Vala, you might make a bold move that I don't ever know about, but you said, this was my conscious choice for the day. And then you're not obligated to share that with anyone else. And I think that that creates space for everyone to be a part of this strategy and try this approach. And then the bold move mindset is an essential foundation for how to do that. The bold move mindset is made up of four different but complementary mindsets, the gratitude mindset, the and mindset, the happiness mindset, and the progress mindset. I love that. By the way, you announced my name perfectly, Vala. That was perfect. <laughs> With a name like Shauna, it's really important to me to say Yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, look, I've got, everyone's called me Wang instead of Wong, right? I got to compete with Vera, Charles, definitely tough. But I love this notion of mindsets, right? It's in our head. A lot of this is in our head and there are different mindsets that you talk about, right? And let's start with the happiness mindset. How do we celebrate personal wins, right? And then say, hey, this is great, right? And, and sometimes, right, the, the personal wins are really important. They're small things that you basically were trying to overcome or tiny habits you're trying to create or all these kind of things that happen. So talk more about getting that mindset, especially that first one down uh, around happiness. So the happiness mindset seems to be one of the hardest ones for people to feel comfortable achieving because they keep waiting for something magical to happen in order to feel happy. Oh. And when we're putting off happiness, we're delaying the joy that we can experience in the moment right now. And we deserve to have that. So it's mm -hmm. a conscious choice to say, I'm going to find happiness where I am, which comes with gratitude, comes with honoring your progress. And then from that mindset, I will be successful. And I find this one to be something that I want more people to wrap their arms around because it means that you get to feel happy and you're not waiting for that moment. Hmm. I don't know why I keep confessing to you, but uh, I'm going to also let you know that I <laughs> fight with imposter syndrome. And I don't know if that's common with introverts. I, I don't, again, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to associate the two. But, you know, having a big title at Salesforce, chief evangelist, and then working for a company that has such great reverence, uh, in the world and society, I find myself at really incredible places. And if people could read my mind, whether it's at the Vatican or the White House or whatever, I'm like, what am I doing here? I can't believe that that anyone has any interest in what I have to say. So it, it, adopting these four elements of your mindset, will it help my imposter syndrome if I could just find out how to be a bit more bold? Well, first, I'm very glad that you feel comfortable talking with me. And um, I don't know why I feel like I'm opening up. hour with Paula Ashar. I hear this very often. I have to say, I think it's one of my superpowers. So I take that as a compliment. Thank you. But I, I think that this idea that we're supposed to not ever feel unsure of ourselves is, you know, that's it's not it's not the goal. Every one of us at every different stage might walk into a room and think, how did I get here? Because we yeah. think about all the things we experienced up until this point, and we think it's almost surreal. And I say that you belong at that table, you belong in that room, and you are there for a reason. And so though you will still feel these experiences of I'm unsure or I have my own limiting beliefs, when you believe in your capacity to grow and learn, then you say, it's okay if I feel that thing, I'm going to feel afraid and I'm going to do it anyway. Love that. 
All right, next time I'm at a really cool place, I'm going to do the, I don't, was it Nancy Diorti uh, posed or do I have the wrong person? Amy Cuddy. Uh, Amy, Amy Cuddy. Cuddy. That's right. That's right. Amy, Amy Cuddy. Amy Cuddy. Who, who actually we met in person at your event, Ray, a few years ago. I can't yep, believe yep, I got yep, the names. Yep, yep. Uh, I got the names mixed up. Diorti's, the narrative, the arc of the narrative. And arc of the narrative. analyzed the Martin Luther King speech and others and like the beautiful arc of a fantastic speech. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, but, but. See, this is why I have imposter syndrome. I can't even get like incredible thought leaders straight in my mind in real time. Go ahead, Ray. <laughs> Go. No, no, no. You, you definitely have it down. I mean, look, I mean, this this is a book that is really about empowerment. And I really see that. And I think, you know, the bold move mindset might help uh, Vala with the imposter syndrome. Um, but if making bold moves is a lifelong process, um, how do they change over time? Do our needs change? Do we adjust? Are there different techniques? Right? You wrote a book really for the ages, right? It's not just for a period of time or a moment in time. It's really for the life cycle of your career or your ambitions and growth. So talk a little bit more about that. When I think about the bold moves that I've made throughout my career, and I encourage you to think about the bold moves you've made too, now that we've defined this together, I you know, worked for other companies for 20 years and I learned so much and I made many bold moves, both as a leader and as an individual. Mm. And when I went out on my own in business, I wasn't you know, responsible for another corporate bottom line anymore. I was responsible for my own company's bottom line. And I made this realization that, that the bold moves that I had already didn't disappear. I'm leveraging those experiences in order to do what I'm doing right now. The same for you in every stage or age or every different table that you're at, you bring all of those experiences with you and you make those next bold moves stronger. So, so as our audience, uh, you know, we'll have tens of thousands of people listening to your great advice and congratulations on your book, but I'm sure they're all wondering, like, is there something I can do this weekend? <laughs> Should I make it a New Year's resolution? <laughs> you know, what can I do in short term to, I guess it was Coach Bobby Knight who said, put yourself in a position to be in position to score. How can somebody, not an operational strategic, but more tactical sense, get ready to, 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 to so when, when they're in a position to make a bold move, they can, they can take that opportunity and run with it. So I want people to wake up tomorrow and say, I am going to make a bold move today. And when you have this intention, you'll start to see that doors are opening for you and you have to decide if you're going to walk through those doors or not. And then you're going to start to open up those doors and create opportunities for yourself. I love that. So, so be intent, the intentionality is important, but I have a follow-up question. Uh, do you need to, do you need to ensure that you have, um, you have uh, exercised your self-awareness muscle so that when you're deciding on a bold move, it's, 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 it's achievable. It's, it's somewhat realistic. It, so is, it, I love the level of pragmatic optimism or, or optimism, but sh how, how, how important is it to be self-aware? Like, like tomorrow, if I said, I, my bold move is I'm going to run a Boston marathon. And I'm going to finish in three hours. <laughs> you know, Great. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's an awesome intention, but you know, I see you got some New Year's resolutions uh, here, Bob. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> he knows about my birthday, so he knows my age is, is that. So, my question is how important is to be self aware and to make sure that it's bold, but but not audacious enough where it can't, it can't be achieved? Um, sure. Okay, so let's use that example of making your bold move the Boston Marathon. Tomorrow, when you make that decision that you're going to do it, 
What are you going to do to contribute to reaching that goal? What is the thing that is achievable tomorrow? Because it's not going to happen all in one day. And if you're just thinking about it, it's probably not a bold move. It's a bold wish. And so what we're doing is saying, what am I going to do to move one step closer toward my goal, even if I'm not reaching it for the next six months or six years? And how am I going to grow from that experience? I love that. Bold move versus bold wish. I love that. Ray, you and I need to have bold moves of this show. We'll take that offline, but Shauna has sparked some ideas here. So I'm just letting you know. Okay, go ahead. No, no, no. And and, and as you talk about this, I mean, this, this is something that's going to continue on for a while. So, I mean, how do we actually do this in terms of getting to the right patterns and, you know, monitoring those behaviors, right? And, and you, you talk a little bit about this, you know, bold was it bold move performance patterns, right? And why it's more important to look at progress than productivity. Explain a little bit about that because I think it's a great way to make sure like, you know, you get to those goals. I am a big believer that progress is more important than productivity. Now you'll see a lot of corporate America measuring productivity. They wanna know what is your outcome? What is your output? And as a leader, I really believe that if you invest in the people and celebrate the progress that the outcomes will happen. And so as you are thinking about what have I done versus what do I still have to do? You're really saying, I can celebrate this moment, this experience. I encourage people to jot it down in their calendar or in their phone at the end of the day or end of the week. So when they look back over a period of time, they can celebrate all that they've accomplished because there's always more to do. There's always more to learn. And when research says that when you continue to celebrate even these small wins, that you're more motivated to keep making progress and moving forward. That's amazing. My final question, um, in, a, in a top 10 ranking, of, of Shauna's life. Uh, where does writing a book rank in terms of a bold move? And a follow-up question, what's next? Any breaking news about future bold moves? <laughs> so um, I would say this is definitely in the top five of my wow. bold moves. Wow. Um, this awesome. is a lifelong dream to write a book. It's awesome. really joyful to feel like you can help as many possible people as you can, the same reason that you started this show. Yeah. And uh, so to fulfill this lifelong dream is really powerful. Um, but my relationships that I've cultivated with my family, mm. with my mentors, with my friends, those are also bold moves. And so they're definitely in my top five too, just to give context for what my life and how I think about it. That's awesome. When I think about what's next, I have some really exciting client projects ahead in 2023, and it'll only be my second year in business. So um, I anticipate that we're going to grow pretty significantly in the new year. That's awesome. That's, that, that, that's bold. Thank you so much for inspiring us. Thank you. Shanna Hawking, leadership consultant, philanthropic advisor, and author of One Bold Move a Day. Definitely get the book. You can follow her on Twitter at Shanna A. Hawking, H-O-C-K-I-N-G. So thanks a lot for being on the show and happy holidays. Grand happy slam. All things. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Well, you know, could you ask for a better birthday gift for you and I? Yours is no. coming up. I won't give a specific date, but this weekend. Um, uh, uh, then having super smart people all around the world, from Pune, India, to Philadelphia, our last guest, or West Coast, with our, with our, with our, with all three guests, uh, is there a better gift that you and I can have on our birthdays than just learning from super smart people? 
definitely not. I mean, this is amazing, right? And we're very thankful. I mean, we've been able to get some insights as to what's happening in tech and trends and how companies are thinking about innovation. You know, it's been great to think about, you know, what's going on with data, right? Digital businesses, everything functions on data and where data catalogs are. But, you know, we also have to motivate ourselves as well. Right. I mean, the ability to think about, you know, are, are we being bold enough? Are we thinking out like, mm. you know, are we achieving the things that we want to achieve? Right. And and how do we get there? Right. I mean, and th- and I think that's great. I mean, we've, we've got all this in one episode, which is like, you know, perfect for the holiday. <laughs> it, 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 no, I mean, and, and, and relevant because constraint breeds creativity. And our first two guests talked about the, the macro microeconomic constraints that businesses, organizations, individuals are facing. And our final guest reminds us that if you're intentional about and passionate and focused and you have a purposeful life uh, and mission at work, uh, being bo- this is the time to be bold. This is the time. Some of the biggest companies gave birth during tough times. Uh, so, so it's just, you know, this is the time to be bold. Okay, that was episode 304. And we've interviewed close to 940 guests on our show. So given that it is Ray's birthday coming up, we've decided to take the next two weeks off (laughs) just to celebrate Ray's birthday. So we will not have a show next week. Ray's got a big birthday bash. And then the following week is going to rest from his birthday bash. But we will be back January 6th uh, for our 305th episode. I believe we've interviewed 141 guests this year. So this was our last show of of 2022. We're averaging about 140 interviews a year. So we're keeping the pace, the cadence the same for the last six years. When we do come back on air, January 6th, we have Deb uh, Mill Schofield, Strategic Innovation Consulting, Venture Capitals, Mentor. Deb is one of the most remarkable people we've ever met. And we have Nick Santhanam, Santhanam, CEO and President of Fernworth Group and author of The Titanium Economy titanium not silver not gold not platinum titanium so i look forward to uh learning from nick as well ray closing remarks uh and comments for the final show uh of 2022 yeah no i mean i think we close out the year um there's lots of folks thinking about where the market's headed what's happening Uh, corporations are thinking about how they look at cost cutting and innovations. I think Anand did a great job of helping us set the stage there. As we look forward, every business is built on data. And I think that's a very important thing uh, that we are learning uh, across the board. How do we manage that? Data catalogs play a really important role. That's a whole category that people are starting to actually take advantage of. And Satyan did a good job sharing that. And and more importantly, you know, I mean, there's a lot of personal growth and development that's going to be happening through these tough times. And as you mentioned, Bala, right, I mean, this is the best time to reinvent yourself or, or find that bold move so in the holiday seasons when you get a chance you know you know take stock of these things as we look into 2023 i wish everybody i think we wish everybody a amazing new year some time with family friends and the ability to actually reflect and think about what you want to do next so what about you vala i just want our viewers to take the next couple of weeks and just soak in gratitude uh we're all struggling uh you know 2022 was a maybe a bit better than 2021 and certainly better than 2020 uh, given what we all had to go through, but it's been tough. It's been a tough year. Uh, so just about everyone I know is struggling in some capacity. So rest, 
uh, more reflective thinking versus reflexive uh, in the next two weeks. Reflect on what you've accomplished, how high you've climbed, how many people you've helped. And then, you know, enter 2023 with gusto, with, with, with energy and passion. Uh, I know Ray and I are going to be hitting the road pretty hard uh, beginning of next year, although Ray's on the road all the time. <laughs> but uh, rest, get some energy and, and spend some quality time with family. And let's make 2023 great. And by speaking of great, please recommend to us who you want to see on the show. We're very fortunate in that people we ask tend to come on. So if there are folks that you want to see on the show, let us know and L, our producer. By the way, incredible gratitude for Al and Hannah. You ran, ran and I just show up. 99% uh, of the hard work is done for us. <laughs> so we have uh, two incredible producers uh, that make this show really special. So really want to thank them as well. And uh, Happy New Year, everyone. We'll see you, uh, we'll see you in uh, 2023. Cheers. Oh.